This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Uh, I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with uh, a return guest. Hadn't been here for a while because he's not in D.C. that often. Carl Dixon of CapturePlanning.com and Prop Library. Carl, welcome back, man. Thank you. Uh, for those of you who don't know, well, I'll, I'll let you talk about yourself for a minute. Tell people who you are, what you do. Okay. I am the founder of CapturePlanning.com and Prop Library. Um, and Prop Library is evolving into something called Must Win Now. These are all tools and resources for people who are involved in pursuit, capture, and and proposals. So we have a lot of online training. We have information and guidance. We basically teach people how to do a better job of winning what they pursue. Okay, so you're you're the proposal guru. I think of myself more like a proposal geek, but okay, well, I obsess on them. There you go. And and you write frequently about them, and that's uh, one of the reasons that you're you're back. Two of your recent articles really uh, really got my attention. Uh, the first is um, eighteen lies, um, and and it's things that people include in proposals. And and frankly, when I was reading the article, I'm thinking, you know, it's not just proposals where people are doing this stuff. <laughs> So what what was the impetus for uh, for this article first? Then we'll go through – I think we're going to go through all of them. Well, the nature of, of, of my business has enabled me to review literally hundreds of proposals for companies. And there are things that I see all the time. And it's not just that they're problems. It's that they reduce companies' win rates. And they do them habitually. So this article was about the things that they say habitually that just aren't true. And the customer knows it. And because the customer knows it, it hurts their credibility to say these things. The credibility factor is uh, um, something that's huge here because in a relationship-driven market – the the every ping on your credibility is you know uh just almost uh un, undoable yeah so it's not a good idea to say things that the customer knows just isn't true yeah it's it uh it leads me to one of my uh pet peeves the phrase fake it to until you make it um which is from my perspective the dumbest advice I've ever heard, um, especially in a market like ours. So when companies tell these lies, they don't feel, they, they probably don't even think that they're lying. And the whole point of this, I really should do a disclaimer, because the point of this is is not to accuse companies of lying. The point of this 
is it's an opportunity for companies to learn how to improve their credibility when they write their proposals because that is how you beat the competition. When other companies are doing these things habitually and you do better, you have the competitive advantage. True. So let's let's start. Uh, the first one is we're better because we have experience. Okay. We're jumping right into it. So, yes, companies love to write about their experience. And it's often the very first thing that they go to when they're trying to establish their qualifications. But it's a lie. It's not a lie that you your company has experience, but the odds are that the staff that have the relevant experience from your previous projects will never even meet your new customer. And so where exactly is that experience and how is that impacting the new project? In most companies, it doesn't. Um, In fact, in most companies, experience is very intangible. So if you you don't have something created from your experience that you are using on the current project, then how exactly is this new project being impacted by that, that experience? In fact, is... Are, are, are the staff who, who got gained that experience even still with your company? So it's not enough to simply claim experience you, to, to establish your credibility. You need to show that that experience is going to have an impact on the, on the new customer and, what, and how that impact is going to happen when the customer knows that you're bidding different staff than work that project. Okay. Um, And speaking of staff, that would be number two. Uh, We can staff this project because we have X number of employees. I can't tell you how many proposals I've seen that have started off with, you know, we, you know, we are located in such and such a place and we have X number hundred of employees, X number thousand of employees or tens of thousands of employees. And, you have this huge staffing count, and it makes you sound like you have all of these resources, but none of that is going to get to this project. This project is going to be bid, you're, you're bidding X number of staff, and all those capabilities of all of your other employees isn't going to to play a role on the new project. If it is... And if you're trying to pick apart what I'm saying and saying to say that that it's not a lie, there actually is a connection, then that's what you should be talking about is how all those other employees are going to touch this new project. And you got to be specific. You got to name names. You got to make it real and tangible. Otherwise, it's just one of those claims that the customers is not simply going to ignore, but is actually going to be a bit annoyed at that because it's adding to what they read. It's a lot of these things are the kind of things that make the customer hate evaluating proposals because they have to read through all of the stuff that's either irrelevant or just not true in order to get to the stuff that that matters to them. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, conciseness is, is critical in any type of communication, particularly when you're trying to win business 
from uh, from our favorite uncle. So um, number three is your project will be of the utmost importance to us. Yes, which is something that you've said to every one of your customers. So if it's going to be every the girl you ever dated. Exactly. Right. You are the most important thing in my life, except for all those other things. And what customer doesn't realize that that you have competing priorities? Okay, it's that simple. Number four is we're fully committed to the success of this project. I mean, you know, if if you're bidding on something with the government, is is that a given or not? The truth is you are you have competing priorities on this one as well. So you are fully committed unless something else comes up. And when that's true, you're not really fully committed, are you? And is that really the message that you want to take to the customer? Or do you want to take a message to the customer that's a bit more realistic and authentic? Maybe just drop that whole claim completely and prove your commitment. If if you feel commitment and if you are, you know, if you aspire to you know, doing the best job possible on this project, then prove it through actions and prove it through what you offer in your proposal. Now, that ties into something that uh, uh, tangentially that I try to work with my clients on. It's always easier to work with a client, expand the work with a given client rather than to break into new agencies to go places where you are not a known commodity. So on on the uh, fully uh, committed to the success of the project, if you have a past performance with that client in their office or offices nearby that is truly tangible, does that change the equation? Absolutely, because I love to play both sides of the fence, offense and defense. So if you are expanding within a, an existing customer, you can draw on that, assuming that you actually do have the good past performance, all right? If you have only done a, a if you have mixed reviews from the customer, mm-hmm. then you really can't rely on that strategy. Now, when you're coming from the outside and you don't have that, that history, that doesn't have to work against you, especially if you're bidding against somebody with a mixed history, because now you can be, you know, the, 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 the new, you know, the new shiny. Right. But when you're coming in as a, as a new contractor trying to establish your credibility, <clears throat> you don't want to do it by saying things like, you know, we're fully committed to this. Instead, you want to prove what you are doing to ensure the success of the project so you want to show your commitment through actions, through processes, procedures, through all of the elements that make up your solution for this customer. If you simply um, write this to sound like everybody else's proposal, then you really aren't fully committed. You haven't shown it. Okay. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center. On the Federal News Network, I'll be back with Carl right after this. 
Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Carl Dixon. You can find Carl at prop, P-R-O-P, library.com or captureplanning.com. Do you have a preference? So the company is captureplanning.com. Right. The, the, our flagship product is Prop Library. Right. And, and Prop Library, if you haven't been there before, it is uh, on, on the free side, a repository of a bunch of great articles. On the paid side, uh, even, even more. So Carl, Carl writes, uh, he's been studying this, the, the proposal side of the market for, uh, you know, what, three decades now? Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's been a few weeks. Um, so, and, and he produces some great content and that's why he comes in every now and again, especially when he's in town. Uh, so, uh, that being said, uh, you can also find him on LinkedIn. I, su- I suggest that you do so. Um, so customer satisfaction is our highest priority. These are actually phrases or paraphrases of things that you have seen in proposals. Absolutely. Um, and customer satisfaction is our highest priority is one of the more frequent uh, things that, 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 that people say, and it's just not true. If your boss comes in the door and demands something from you, that's going to take a higher priority. And if uh, your certain circumstances change for your company, that might force you into to, to doing things that you know the customer's not going to like. So customer satisfaction, it's, I, it is a high priority, mm-hmm. but, but let's be honest. It's, it's not the highest priority. Maybe it should be at times, but there's always exceptions. And when a salesperson walks up to you and tells you that you're their highest priority, you're not paying attention to that because you know it's not true. Well, we, we hear uh, you know superlatives all the time, and the more you hear them, the less credible they become. Sure. You hear them on TV and on the radio. You hear them in advertising. But a proposal is not an ad. It should not sound like an ad. And the reason is a proposal is a tool for making a decision. And when you load your proposal up, with superlatives and unsubstantiated claims, what you're really doing is showing the customer that you're willing to be untruthful in inappropriate situations, and yeah. that is not good for your credibility. Yeah, and and the next one, quality is our highest priority, is, is pretty much the same thing. Yes. So you've got competing priorities and sometimes you have to make compromises. And so, yes, your quality is at times compromised. You would be better off discussing when the the pressures that might compromise quality and using that to ghost your competition than you would be to to make the empty claim of it being your your highest priority. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, uh, number seven is complying. We will comply with all uh, requirements of the RFP. And, right. you know, you can be thrown out if you don't, really. Sure. But. You're, you're going to say that um, because the RFP says you, you have to say it. The RFP wants you to, to itemize them all, but because of page limits, you sometimes can't itemize your, fully itemize your compliance. Um, so, so you have to state that we're going to essentially – 
fulfill the contract. You have to say that. But the truth is that, yeah, you're going to um, – there's some wiggle room in what it means to be RFP compliant, and, and you're going to take advantage of that from time to time. Um, you have to just to function, and sometimes the customer even wants you to. Yeah. Um, then we come up with, uh, as a small business, we're more nimble than larger companies. And this this one begs the question, but, you know, you don't have the same resources as a larger company. So um, so – so does the nimble factor play? It's not true that small companies are more nimble than larger companies. And the reason it's not true is um, you want to believe that you make decisions faster, but the person who makes that decision isn't available to you because they're doing 10 different other things. And, and, and you know, when everybody in the company is wearing 10 different hats, um, that doesn't lend itself to being as nimble as you would like to believe. Okay. And on the flip side of that, we have as a large business, we have all the resources needed. Yes, except you can't have them. We have a million employees. We we, we have a thousand offices. We have an incredible contracts. amount of revenue. Right. And you will have access. And, and you as our new customer will have access to only the ones that I have itemized in the pricing volume of my proposal. <laughs> and so, you know, it's not true that a large company has more resources, for example, than a small business, because a small business might include more in their proposal. Um, it's, 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 it's all in, in, in what's been itemized. But knowing this gives you an opportunity because you can, in your proposal – itemize better than other companies. And you can show exactly how the new customer will be impacted by what you do have to offer. It just has nothing to do with whether you're a small business or a large business. Okay. Um, We uh, were ready to start on day one. Yes. But even the incumbent is going to have staffing changes. They're going to have contract changes they're going to 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 you know have things that that need to be set up for for the new contract even an incumbent contractor is going to have problem can can have problems meeting the new spec on day 1 now they're physically present that's great um and if you are an outsider coming in you 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 know it's it's super important to show that there's not going to be any disruption when you take over all right. But um, when people say they're going to be ready on, on, on day one, that's more of an intention than it is a reality. Okay. Um, then we, we have two that are, are kind of, well, they're not really related. Um, we have a successful track record. Um, I mean, yeah. if, if, again, if you're selling to somebody that you've already sold to, they might already know that. But Or they might disagree with it. When when a company says we have a successful track track record, they're really only looking at their successes. Um, they're they're not really focused on the problems that they have because well they're working on the problems and they have every intention of fixing them, but the customer is the one saying, "Why isn't it fixed yet? I'm being impacted by it." 
So a track record is, is, is usually a, a, a mixed thing. And when you're talking about it in the tech volume or the management volume, it's very different than when you're talking about past performance because past performance is actually a reference check and the customer is, is, is you know, seeking out your prior customers to ask them their opinion. But when you're talking in your proposal and you're just saying we have the successful track record – and if that's not tied to the RFP instructions or evaluation criteria, it's not even relevant to begin with. Okay. We're up to a uh, little, little better than halfway here. Uh, you, you, uh, you talk about the turnover rate, too. We have a blank, you know, fill-in-the-blank turnover uh, rate. The, the retention of employees, key employees, is, is critical. And I've worked with companies – where uh, where they're lifers, um, and I've worked with companies where it's project to project employment. So why even bring it up? Because retention can be very important. It can also be very difficult to quantify. Um, even when the RFP asks you, because some RFPs do, they'll, they'll ask you for a retention rate. And if they don't give you the specific formula to use, then every contractor bidding is, is cherry picking the numbers. And they're looking at things like, well, should we only include incumbent contracts? Um, what about the voluntary versus involuntary terminations? Or, you know, we really shouldn't con, you know, shouldn't count contract employees lost due to contract losses because, well, that wasn't our fault. Um, that wasn't us, you know, a retention problem. Um, so, so which numbers are included and excluded matter a lot. And when everybody's doing differently, you have the, the number ends up being meaningless. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a couple here I want to get to before the, the break. So, um, and, and the one in particular that jumps out at me is our staff has a combined total of X number of years experience. Usually it's a very small company. When when we're dealing with this, because Northrop isn't going to say we have a billion years worth of experience, and they probably could. But I I ran this. This is interesting to me because I ran across one yesterday doing some uh, some research, and it's a four person company with three hundred years experience. Yes, <laughs> and okay, <laughs> no, they they want the customer to to believe that. They have some really experienced staff and shouldn't be dinged for being a new company because they have really experienced staff. But here's the math on the problem, okay? If you have 10 staff who worked for one year on something, is that the same as having somebody show up who's done it for 10 years? The math doesn't work. So it's really substituting you know, something that isn't the same when they make that claim and just – Simply by making the claim, it, it brings up the obvious questions about it, and that's making your credibility questionable. You don't want your credibility to be questionable. You don't want to be like on that line right there between completely true or maybe not completely true. You know, you don't want to play the line right. if, if, if credibility is important. And if you are a service contractor, credibility is all you've got. That is all you've got. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off-Center on Fed, on the Federal News Network. Uh, Carl and I will be back right after this. 
Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with Carl Dixon of Prop Library, proplibrary.com, and Capture Planning. Um, you can also find Carl on LinkedIn. I suggest that you do so. Um, we're, we're talking about uh, an article he published, what, about two weeks ago um, on uh, what's the title again? 18 lies companies tell in their proposals. There you go. I, I had the 18 lies part, but I forgot the rest. So um, uh, I'm only going to cover a couple more real quick. Um, most of our business comes from repeat customers. All right. <clears throat> you are uh, all contractors here. So if you're not winning your recompetes, you're in trouble. I mean, okay, maybe one or two here or there, but, but you know – if it's enough to make a percentage, you know, double-digit percentage difference, then your company is severely impacted. And here's the thing. This applies to everyone. So everyone is winning their recompetes or they're in panic mode. So if everybody is winning their recompetes, everybody is – everybody's has most of their business from <clears throat> repeat customers. It's obvious. So this one is um, – not so much a, a lie as it is, and so obvious it's irrelevant. Okay. Um, and, you know, we, you and I both have a lot of repeat business, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we're both incredibly grateful for it, but, you know, frankly, I think we earn it. Um, uh, I, I'm going to skip a couple here, and I, w- I want to go to the final one. We understand. Um, what do you mean by that? Okay, so sometimes this the, the company specifically asks for an understanding section, and but even when they don't, companies often want to prove that they understand the customer. And when you found out about their need when the RFP was released, and, okay, and and then you went to their website and and did some some copy and paste, that is not the same thing as understanding them. When you read the RFP and say, okay, I see what you're asking for, so here's a compliant response, that's not what they're looking for. Okay, that's just simply claiming understanding. It's much better to prove understanding. And the way you prove understanding is through what you offer, through the results that you're going to deliver. And when the customer sees, oh, yeah, they un- they understand the results I'm looking for. They understand my goals and how to achieve them. That's the kind of understanding that, that the customer is looking for. That's what they want. Um, and, and, again, that that's why um, I focus with my clients on uh, staying where they know you as long as possible and growing the business in the agency where you have a reputation, because the longer you're there, if as, as long as you're breathing, hopefully even by osmosis, you're picking up those pain points. You really begin to understand not simply the problem, but the processes they use, where the, the warts are, um, you know, the preferred contractual vehicles, all of that stuff comes into play. If you are fully leveraging the insights that the people who interact with the customers are getting on a daily basis. And that goes all the way down to, to, to your, your technical and operational staff. Yep. All right. So, um, 
your latest article. We're, we're done with we're done with lying. Uh, <laughs> okay. Now now we'll tell the truth. Um, so the, your, your latest article has to do with what you referenced earlier, and that's the the morphing of prop library to uh, the must win process. So in 2004, I actually created the must win process. And it was about producing a paper. So it was a paper based process, which essentially they all are. The proposal process is about how you get things on paper. And about a year ago, I started working on something that, that actually came out of an R&D effort um, to bring the process online. But instead of bringing it online as a paper-based process, I did things a little differently to use online tools to support the process. And I have learned so much from doing this. I actually, after 30 years, I thought... I knew the proposal process cold, and it turns out that the proposal process is obsolete, and I never even realized it. Because what the proposal pro- – when you, when you look at companies that have proposal processes, everybody struggles with having getting their process accepted, getting people to follow their process. Internal people. Yes. And, and getting um, – as well as – working that process in order to produce winning proposals. Most companies' win rates are well below 50%. I've seen win rates go as low as 7%. And you got to wonder how a company can even function with a win rate that bad. But it's showing that your process isn't working or that people aren't aware of it or that they're not following it or that it's not staffed sufficiently, or that there's, there's so many excuses that companies use for their proposal processes not working as well as they should, because nobody wants to be the blame for a bad process. Um, is that one of the reasons why the complaint I hear every year at APMB is we lose because the client doesn't know us? So that is an example of they're not following our process. Okay, when when proposal specialists talk about that, it's usually in the context of I'm telling people this. I'm telling them that they need to be ahead of the RFP, that I'm telling them that they need to have a customer relationship, but they're not just doing it. I mean, see, it says right here in our process you're supposed to do this, and they're not following the steps. And it turns out that the pursuit, capture, and proposal process is not about following steps. It's about a flow of information, getting information about the customer, and then figuring out what matters about that information, working with sometimes a dozen or or multiple dozens of people, far more people than you realize. Even if you think your proposal is only done by three people, you probably have a dozen people who touch it at some point. Um, But getting, hurting all those cats in order to get the right information where it needs to go is not an assembly line process. And that's the way most um, people try to set their proposal process up as a paperwork workflow. But what I found over the last year is in, in trying to build software around it that didn't just push paper, that helped people figure things out, that helped people um, figure out what to do 
and then make it easier to do that. I had to look at how people interact with my software. And so I had to become more of a technical geek and look at how the screen was designed and how buttons are pushed. And because I have all of this online training and prop library, I intentionally wanted this to be a guidance tool that that would show people what to do to win. And so I wasn't building software that would automate proposal assembly. I was building proposal software to, to increase win rates and looking at what the user needed to know in order to, to get the higher win rate so that, that it, it would be just a matter of them following, you know, the, the, the screen prompts and interacting with them. And it, after having worked with that for a year, that's when I realized it's the proposal process is really a user interface issue. It's about what do people need to see, hear, and interact with in order to be successful during a pursuit. Most processes don't give people what they need to be successful. And when you talk about people resisting your process or or not following it, if you are designing a user interface, then there are things you're going to do about that. You're going to look at why they're not following it. Is it because they don't know what to do or is it because they have competing priorities? Do they need notifications? Do they need the, the, the you know, screen to be designed a certain way? And once you start looking at the needs of people interacting with the process and then start um, building things that they can interact with successfully – it's a very different thing than the traditional process that you end up with. Okay. Let's take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll be back to wrap up with Carl right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with Carl Dixon. Uh, again, you can find Carl at proplibrary.com or on LinkedIn. And and Carl, the the uh, um, I mean, we we've discussed this a couple of different times off air, but the issue is you have so many people that you need tidbits from. The proposal people need tidbits from that that um, that aren't, and and these are people in the company who aren't proposal experts. They they may be trying to help you, but they're pushing what they think is important as opposed to what you need to develop. One of the things that drives companies to want to have a proposal process when they have nothing is that herding the cats through a proposal can be very challenging. And because all these different people from from pricing contracts, um, technical subject matter experts, management subject matter experts, um, and, 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 and more – um, have to play, you know, a role in the process. You you need to coordinate those, and so you start visualizing a flow chart, and you start thinking about process, and then those people don't understand what you're asking for of them, or they want to bring their own experience as engineers or or specialists in and focus on doing what they think their job is. And that's not what you need from them. And so 
all of these people involved throughout the process, there's all these points of friction. Um, and that largely is a proposal manager's life dealing with, with all the various sources of, of, of friction. But if you start looking at it as a user interface and you start looking not so much as what do I need from this person and how do I fit that piece into the puzzle that is forming for this proposal, um, if you start look, stop looking at it, at it as a, an industrial workflow and start thinking about what do people need to be successful in their interactions and just look at that and look at what kind of interactions do, are people going to have in order to deliver a winning proposal and how should, can we shape those interactions? And that's actually what I've been spending my last year doing in designing Must Win Now is looking at how to shape people's interactions. And what I found when people started using the software is that the process disappears. They no longer start looking at it as a process. They, they stop looking at it as a process and instead just simply sit down and do what they need to do. They, they do what feels natural because they're not thinking about, I've been told that I have to follow these steps. Instead, when they interact with the tool, they're, 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 they're just, okay, well, I need to write, so I'm going to need these things. And the tool's got places where I do each, each of these things. And it's not, not an, an assembly line thing. It's, it just feels natural to people. And that's really what the process needs to evolve to into is something that feels natural. Okay, and it, that's what your ultimate goal is with the must-win process, must-win now yes. process. Yeah, the paper-based version from 2004 was the must-win process, and the uh, software that it's evolving into is, is, is called must-win now. Okay, so um, so what, what I, w- I want to touch on a couple other uh, uh, issues here. Um Especially around your subject matter experts. I mean, you know, these are really you know core assets in the company. But when you're trying to pick their brains, um, I go back to LinkedIn training that I've done with some think tanks in in our market, uh, where uh, they they weren't clearly enunciating who they were via the social platform. Uh, and once they did, we had instances where people were getting task order business from their profiles. I, I wish that happened more often, but um, you know when you clearly enunciate that. But but talking with SMEs is not always the easiest process. No, and and so proposal managers, in looking at you know when they have a paper based process, they think, okay, well, I either need to have my my SMEs write a draft, or I need to talk with them and interview. Um, them so that I can write the draft because in a paper-based process, that's you know that 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 that's how you move it through the assembly line. Um, it, when when I set up Must Win Now, instead I looked at the flow of information and how I could structure questions into the UI, or actually build the entire pre-RFP pursuit around the information needed to win the proposal. And how we go from collecting raw intelligence to turning it into action and then 
mapping that into the proposal section plans so that you seamlessly go from gathering intel into taking action in your sections without even thinking about it. And that's why I think that approaching this whole thing as a user interface, even if you're not online, even if you're not using something like like Must Win Now, thinking about how that interaction needs to occur, what needs to happen with the intel that you gather so that instead of producing a series of process deliverables, filling out forms and and worksheets and and storyboards and things like that, you, you want it to feel very natural for people so that they gather their intel, you have the information, then they start mapping out the actions that need to be taken based on what was learned and have that mapped to the proposal outline so that it shows up in the, their, their sections. And now you've got section writers who are building their sections around what you wanted them to build it around without having to, to, to breathe down their necks about compliance and win strategies and themes and having them resist it. Okay, cool. Give me some final thoughts here. I think that it's all about win rate ultimately. So whether you're trying to, to establish credibility in order to, to improve your win rate or, or whether you are trying to figure out what to say instead of telling all those lies we talked about, that figuring out the flow of information and building that around um, you know, what it's going to take to win um, is the way is, is what you need to build everything around so that you can maximize your win rate. Cool. Carl, man, thanks for coming in. Thank you, Mark. Always a pleasure to have you here. Uh, this is not my day job. I do advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government. Um, but I, I focused the last couple of years especially on that, that thought leadership, subject matter expert area, how to develop that platform, how to clearly enunciate that platform. And that ties into, uh, from from my perspective, to, to other uh, areas, content development and content sharing. And all of this ties into social selling, leveraging LinkedIn, which is the single gathering place for virtually – uh, the entire market. So if you're interested in learning more about my programs to help you with that social selling process, drop me a line at mark at federaldirect.net or markamtower at gmail. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.